Hello, grace and peace to you all, Captain Roger of the Salvation Army's Grass Valley Corps, and uh, I am here today for our worship and study time, and I am glad that you were able to join us. Hey, grab your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 18, and as we have been going through Matthew's biography of Jesus, I have pointed out how he really does highlight the slowness of the disciples to begin to embrace and live out the message that Jesus was teaching and showing them, and frankly, I, I get it. It's very different from the attitude of the world, and it's hard to change the cultural expectations we all have built into us from the day that we're born. Jesus' teaching that how we treat every person matters isn't what our world or our various cultures tell us. Instead, they tell us some people are better or worth more than others. Maybe because of their birth, maybe because of their breeding, or maybe because of the behaviors they choose to live out. But some are just better, and the rest are what a former employer of mine used to refer to as a waste of skin. Now, Jesus tells us something very different. He says we need to view the people who exist alongside of us very differently. He wants us to treat each person as if they are a beloved child of God all the time not just when they meet our expectations. Now, at first glance, Matthew 18 looks like a chapter that's divided into five different stories, and that's because of the headings that Bible publishers put in there. But when you take those out and you look just at the original words that Matthew put on the page, you see that this entire chapter is a single discourse. It's all one set of teaching on a single subject. It's meant to make sure that we don't miss what Jesus is telling us that we need to try to do. Now, I say that Matthew highlights some of the, the boneheadedness of the disciples following Jesus, especially the 12 apostles, but I should also really point out he's actually much kinder towards them than, say, Mark was. Mark, the writer of what we have as the second gospel, he, uh, he was Peter's secretary. And we presume that he wrote with Peter's voice. And, and Peter, I get the feeling, spent a lot of his later years thinking, why didn't I get that sooner? And he wasn't afraid to share that with people, probably because he realized how true that is of most of us, frankly. And he wanted to encourage us, even at the cost of his own dignity and that of his closest companions. After all, our pride tends to be more of an obstacle than an aid, and owning up to our faults can be a good first step towards addressing them, can't it? Hmm. Now, Matthew, he's not quite so harsh. He doesn't downplay the ways in which they missed the mark. <coughs> Excuse me. But he doesn't always bring them up either. Like here in chapter 18, he starts describing this teaching section from Jesus in this way. He says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's Matthew 18, verse 1. If we only had Matthew's version of this story to go on, um, this would sound like a humble and on-point question about who God will assign authority to. But Mark and Luke both start in a little bit of a different place. Here's Mark. Uh, Mark said, They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because along the way they had been arguing about who was the greatest. And now Luke, Luke writes more like a reporter than a biographer. He makes it a little more stark as well. Luke says, 
An argument started among the disciples as to which one of them would be the greatest. <laughs> he, he lays it right out. And there's no contradiction here. This is just three guys telling the same story from slightly different perspectives. I wouldn't even usually make a deal out of something like this, but I think, given where our society is at these days, it's good for us to understand that these earlier followers of Jesus, these first people who were with him, the guys who were with him day in and day out for well over two years at this point, that they had fallen into the trap of thinking that some of them were better than others. That's probably not how they looked at it at first, and, and it's not usually how people think about it when we are doing it either, is it? But that's what's happening. It's pride slipping quietly in and whispering into those dark reaches of your soul. I'm so glad I'm not like that. I'm so glad I'm this instead. How can that person be so confused or misled or clueless or such an idiot? Why are they so annoying and not the perfect, well-adjusted, intelligent, thinking person that I am? Mm, does that voice sound familiar to anyone? And however it came about, Jesus is now standing in front of a group of his disciples who have just been arguing from the point of view that it is they who are the best, and the rest of you, though maybe pretty good in the grand scheme of things, who just aren't quite all that I am. So Jesus did this thing to get them to start changing their thinking to be more what God wants and less Aren't I great? Yeah. Look so back Matthew 18 at verse 2. It says, Jesus called a little child to him, and he placed that child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now, I want to teach you a word. It's Talia. Talia. And it is Aramaic. Now, Aramaic was the common language spoken in the Palestine area in the first century, and it is probably the language that Jesus spoke and taught in most of the time, although we can't say that with 100% certainty. It's about 90%. Now, the Aramaic word Talia, it means child. Whoever takes the lowly position of this Talia is the greatest. The word Talia has another meaning as well. It means servant, or, or more technically, it means slave. You want to be first? Then you need to be a child or a, a servant to the rest, putting all others first. You see, the disciples they have to change from people who are jockeying for position, seeing themselves as better than others, to people who, like children, see others as equals or as taking precedence. Who, like servants, look to help make the lives of those around them better as their first priority. Now, don't take this wrong and think that Jesus is telling you you need to think of yourself as being less. That is not all what's going on here. It is about viewing others as at least equally valuable to ourselves. If we are to welcome one another, as if each of us is one of these children, we need to 
be one of these children. We need to recognize that they are equal children because they, they are, or just as, as we are. Does that make sense? They are as we are. We are as they are. It's not, I'm not better. I'm not better than you. And no matter what you may be thinking, you are not better than me. We are our own. We are what God created us to be. When our concern is about our own status or our own position in the kingdom of God, we have missed the point, which is what Jesus tells them next. Look at verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. The idea here is that there are those who could or should believe in and follow Jesus, and that there are people who are going to cause them to, to trip, to turn away, or to give up a following. This week, forgive me, <clears throat> this week we had a vacation Bible school. Uh, it's kind of a, a thing where we get all these kids come in and, and we've got a theme and we teach them about Jesus every night and we do little projects every night. And I can say one of the projects we did this week was to make friendship bracelets out of beads. Sorry, I should have put mine back on today so I could show it off. Um, I made it harder than it needed to be. It wasn't intentional. It just kind of the way my brain works. It didn't occur to me that this was important. Um, I skipped a step when I was giving the instructions. There's a step where you're supposed to tape one end of the string to a table and then you only thread beads onto the other end of the string. And I didn't think about how hard it can be for small hands to hold both ends of a string full of beads because I don't have small hands and haven't for uh, a really long time. The result for a couple of kids was the frustrating drop of an end and all of their carefully strung beads going all over instead of becoming the beautiful bracelets that they could have been. And once that happened, those kids decided it was too hard and they didn't want to try anymore. They were discouraged. How often do we hear stories of people who decide they want nothing to do with church or faith or even Jesus because something, someone who says they're a Christian, something that Christian person said or did that discouraged them. And so they're like, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. Is my fervent prayer that nothing I do ever causes someone to stumble or fall away from Jesus. But it is my great fear that it has happened. All of us probably have moments in our lives where this has happened. Because I know myself, not only am I sure that this has happened, I'm sure that it has been because I have been operating from the pride that says I am the greatest and they are less. If welcoming someone as a beloved child of God is the same as welcoming Jesus, which is what he just said, then causing them to stumble is the same as rejecting Jesus, isn't it? We've seen Matthew emphasize how hard Jesus worked to avoid offending and driving away people. And obviously, it didn't keep it from happening. Which I think we can take some solace in. The key here seems to be your intent and your effort more than your outcome. But don't let that change your need to focus on doing all you can to treat others as if they are beloved children of God. Listen to what the rest of Jesus has to say about this. Verse 7, he says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. 
Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter the life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. All right. First, I want you to be encouraged by Jesus saying that things that cause people to stumble will come. It's going to happen. There are going to be things that cause you to stumble. There are going to be people who might cause you to stumble. There are going to be people you might cause to stumble. It's going to happen. But you need to do everything you can to make sure that it doesn't come through you. Now, it may still come through you or through me, and, and he'll talk about that in a moment. But we need to do all that we can to embrace others as if they are a beloved child of God who we love and serve. Anything that keeps us from doing that needs to be cut away and disposed of. Why? Well, because we aren't just looking out for others. We're looking out for ourselves by looking out for others. What's your soul worth to you? Would you rather be brought up from the grave to stand before God missing a hand but righteous or with both hands and about to be cast into... Hmm, you know, a side story might be important at this point. In the days of the Canaanites... The god Molech was one of those that was worshipped. Now, there were special altars erected to bring sacrifices to him in the valley of Hinnon, which is just outside the stronghold, which would eventually become Jerusalem. Molech, though, was worshipped in some pretty horrible ways, including through the sacrifice of children. When Josiah reformed the worship of God during his time as king. He sought out these altars which still stood and he desecrated them. The whole of the valley was devoted to burning garbage, human and animal waste, and the entrails of animals which had been butchered for food or for sacrifices. And the garbage piled up and the fires, they burned without ending. Maggots proliferated on the decaying flesh, and clouds of flies and pillars of smoke rose into the air along with the stench of death. In the days before the Babylonians invaded, Jerusalemites built new altars in this area to Baal and Molech, and they sacrificed their own babies in an effort to persuade those gods to intervene and turn away the threat of Nebuchadnezzar. Or, some of them said they sacrificed their gods so that the Lord would turn away. This really upset the Lord. He sent a message to the prophet Jeremiah that because they had put their own children in the fires, the Babylonians, when they came, they would pile their bodies in the pit deep enough to march across on their way out. The Babylonians, when they came and destroyed Jerusalem, they destroyed the altars. And this valley remained a place to burn waste, both during and after the exile. In fact, in the years leading up to the time of Jesus, the Valley of Hinnon, which was also called Gehenna, it became a symbol of life without God, a garbage pile that the unrighteous would be consigned to when the day of the Lord came and all people would be judged. We have come to translate that word Gehenna as hell, which is a poor translation, but a powerful metaphor. It is a warning attached to what Jesus is teaching. 
in treating others as better, I'm sorry, in treating yourself as better than others, you are declaring them to be trash. Let me repeat that so that I'm sure that we're all clear. When you treat yourself better than others, you are declaring others to be trash. I am more valuable. You are less valuable. And because that makes me valuable, it makes you not valuable. And I know we all try to say, well, I'm not really shading it that far, but really you are. This is an all or nothing thing. Are you all the same or not? And by this, well, well, I think you know what I mean. Jesus is suggesting that you need to do all that you can to change that view that others are not as worthy as you. Or you may find yourself cast onto the trash heap. He says we need to deal with ourselves radically to be sure that we are treating others as if they are beloved children of God, because they are. That's why Jesus adds a further warning as well. Look at verse 10. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. All right, I'm going to pick. I don't like the NIV translation of this verse. I'm reading from the NIV today. It's not that this is wrong. I just don't like the way that it's worded. It's awkward. It's, it's almost intentionally unclear, even though it is accurately translated. Let's try the New Living Translation instead. Here's how it reads verse 10. It's, Jesus says, Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. For I tell you, that in heaven, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly father. Now I got to tell you, this captures what's being said in a much clearer way. The word in the NIV, despise, it, it's too hard. It can lead you to think that you really need to hate someone to be in danger here. The NLT phrasing is better. Don't look down on anyone. Don't look down on anyone. Every person no matter what you may think of them, is a beloved child of God with an advocate in heaven who reports directly to the Lord and who is right there reporting to him while you're doing whatever you do to them. How you treat them matters to that angel and to God. So it needs to matter to you. That's what Jesus is telling us. At this point, I feel like I need to remind us all of something I tell my own kids constantly. Other people's bad behavior is no excuse for your own. Maybe you think that that person is trash because they have done bad things to other people. Or, or you think they have. Or you think they've done bad things to you. Or you know they have. Is that a reason for you to treat them as anything other than a beloved child of God? Not according to what Jesus is saying here. In fact, quite the opposite. Your disdain for someone is noticeable, and it is noticed, and it can cause them to stumble or stray. Or, or maybe they've strayed on their own, and you had nothing to do with it. Do you think that means you have no responsibility to try to bring them back? Remember in the last chapter how Jesus paid the tax that he had no responsibility to pay? And he had Peter pay it too, even after showing that Peter had no responsibility to do so? Why did he say he was doing that? 
He said he was doing that for the benefit of those who were collecting the tax. It seems that we should do things because they benefit other people, not because we have to do them. Do you understand that? We should do things because they benefit other people, not because we have to do them. Jesus is still speaking. I keep interrupting him, just like I complain that the section headers the publishers put in the Bible translations do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I keep interrupting you, Jesus. Jesus continued. He said his thing here. <clears throat> Excuse me. He said this about uh, don't look down on any of these little ones. And then he went on in verse 12 to say, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that's lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, is not my heavenly father's, it is not my heavenly father's will. Let me reread that all verse 14. In the same way, it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. It is not God's will that anyone should perish. Remember, people will stumble and go astray. Sometimes it might be because of something we did. Sometimes not. Either way, the will of God remains the same. Go look for them to bring them back. He doesn't want a single one to be lost. He doesn't want even one to die. Not anyone. Not you. Not me. Not that person you think is a waste of skin. God doesn't think they're a waste. He thinks they are his beloved child. Even when they've wandered away, he thinks they are his beloved child and he wants to bring them back. Just like he thinks of you. Just like he thinks of me. And we should be ready to cut off our own arm and leg if that would make it possible for us to bring that lost sheep back to him. Hey, maybe just being willing to pursue a lost sheep will be enough to get them to sit up and take notice. What's that guy coming after me for? Maybe that's all it's going to take for them to ask, hey, why are you doing this? And then you can say, well, because I know that you are a beloved child of God. And whether you succeed in returning them to the flock or not, you know what? Their angel will see your effort and God will know that you understand. How we treat people matters. I want to go on because Jesus isn't done yet. Because the question at this point is always this, uh, but what if they aren't treating me like a beloved child of God? Then what? Well, first, let me remind you that someone else's bad behavior is not an excuse for you to behave badly. Second, what you are seeing as an offense might be the opportunity that you need to reach a lost sheep in a new way. Third, third, make sure you can see all three fingers. Third, Jesus has some wonderful direction on this. He doesn't just stop here and let it go. He continues on. Like I said, this entire chapter is one story. Uh, but you know what? There's still like half the chapter left. So we're going to talk about that next week. I think we all have all have more than enough to think about for today. In fact, will you pray with me? <clears throat> Abba Father, Father of us all, thank you that we are all your beloved children. I'm so sorry for all the times I have thought of others as being somehow less than I am. 
It's never fair, it's never accurate, and it is never right. Help me to recognize when my attitude or effort is lacking, and please help me keep from leading others to stumble or fall away. Help me be able to find the lost the way that you would have me do. Help me to be part of bringing stray sheep into your fold. And finally, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I am your beloved child, made to stand alongside all of my brothers and sisters in this life, recognizing that even though we are different people with different backgrounds and different ideas and activities, that we are all one in you and one in Christ. In the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. And amen. Hey. Wherever you are, wherever you're going, you have nothing to fear because God is with you. You can't go anywhere that God hasn't already gone. Go with God. Grace and peace to each and every one of you this week. Blessings. <laughs>